information at onmaingallery.com. All right. Well, let's get into our main shiz today. Um, I was very, very lucky to get a chance to speak to um, Kelly from the uh, Unit Pit Project's current exhibition, first exhibition in their new space, um, which um, is called IOU. And IOU is a uh, project wherein Kelly brought together um, six artists, five of which were submerged in the Georgia Strait. And they were submerged in the Georgia Strait long enough, about three months, to actually start to change aspects of the art itself, whether that be uh, structurally, aesthetically, uh, everything is pretty dirty and covered in mollusks now, and in a way, it creates this amazing effect. Not only playing with different iterations of the same object, but in creating a connection between the artists. Now, Kelly recently graduated from Emily Carr, um, proposing this project last December, and she never used other people's work. This is her first curatorial project. But it is part of her practice and, and her thread of ideas to use space, the state of the space, and the objects, and responding to them in a way that creates a dialogue. Her main objective usually being to stir things up and open things up to conversation. Um, believing in this instance, IOU, that the work themselves actually have a more interesting life, a different life, than if they'd been left as intended. Um, the space at 236... Pender, uh, moving from 15 East Pender, is the new space of the Unit Pit Project. It used to be a grocery store, um, and she chose, rather than to use those beautiful white walls that galleries love so much, um, they had some detachable walls, they decided to uh, leave the space bare and open. And so you get to see this work in progress, just like these pieces hung were in progress in the Georgia Strait. So what I would like to do is uh, we have uh, a conversation between her and I about the curatorial process and about some of the artists, and then we'll get into a few more specifics. The whole project uh, features six artists, Ben Raymer, Devin Knowles, who is also currently part of Properties at the Western Front, Stephen Breckelmans, Ian Robert Sandilands, Colleen Heslin, and a video project by Frida Ray Green. That was not actually uh, dunked in the ocean, by the way. And we also have a few musical selections by Kelly. Uh, right now we're listening to R. Stevie Moore's Husband. And you can find more about the music on the playlist online at CITR.ca. So here is Kelly talking a little bit about IOU through June July 6th, IOU through July 6th at the Unit Pit Projects. Now, um, we are in 236 East Pender, which is the new location of the Unit Pit Project. Why does it smell like the sea in here? Well, the work that was uh, selected for the show, um, it, they've all spent time together in the water. <laughs> About three months leading up to the show. So instead of 
writing a curatorial statement, I decided to put them in the water instead and have the elements do the work in a way. I had spoken to some of the artists earlier on and I thought of certain people that had um, a little bit more of um, maybe a more adventurous attitude in terms of their work or in understanding what the what the show was going to do. Um, I came about it when thinking about uh, group exhibition formats and how they can be somewhat problematic in terms of uh, the curatorial role and control that one would have in showing them in a certain way or when there's a certain text that's written beforehand which may limit the works in a certain way so I thought about like how to approach it in a way that would manifest physically. Well the thing is a lot of the, the materials that, that these artists used uh, I don't think that they've ever been gleaned in a way that it was trash to begin with at any point. I guess in terms of submerging everything it was more or less to to create a tie between the work with like a patina versus a long-winded, wordy <laughs> description as to why these works make sense together. It's like a curatorial statement that's very tactile versus yeah. literary. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was something that was really important for me to do, I think, because I've read a lot of great statements and I've read some bad ones too, and so I was kind of interested in maybe more of the <laughs> the bad ones <laughs> and thinking about that in a way that I could I could do it physically rather than just emulate the same sort of wordiness. So it seems like you've kind of turned the curatorial project into an art project. There's the wider overarching project that you've kind of used these artists as materials but each of their own characters really stands out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that was uh, something that was pretty amazing because each of, the, each of the works are very telling of the style of the artists. And yeah, stylistically, for sure, everything stands out. And there's a video work. Well, it's also a bit of an unfinished space right now. How did you incorporate that into how you presented Coming up to the installation, I mean, the, the work had been taken out maybe two days beforehand, and at that point that I had brought the work here, we hadn't even put the walls up. And the weekend before that, I was here helping out with some of the, um, the renovations that have been going on, and uh, Brian had asked me, you know, well, how do you see it? Do you see it as like a white cube? And, and I thought, well... Uh, I don't know, and, and he said that Keith was, he had these eight-foot panels, uh, paneled walls in mind that would just be freestanding, temporary, and I thought, well, I don't know about that, but then I thought, well, I also do like the current state of the space, and so we spaced the walls out so that that could show through, so there was, um, that enabled like a bit of a correspondence between the works and the walls that sort of separated the works from the actual walls and then maybe the more traditional way would be to create a really short mm -hmm. perfect white yeah. space much like the old pit kind of was definitely hesitant and not interested in that because the great part about this new space is that there is space to work with there's kind of a, a stereotype about contemporary art because it's so theoretical there can be a seriousness and a control to it so it seems like you're kind of playing with that 
Yeah, definitely. I think that um, the worst thing about going to some exhibitions is that there's sometimes you're stunted from something to say and sometimes you feel stupid or you feel like um, you don't know where to sort of situate yourself. Um, and I think that the the funny thing about a lot of the people that came to the opening, I mean, it really, it doesn't smell nearly as bad as it did before. <laughs> so it kind of reeked and people were just sniffing things and it was just such a weird thing to watch and it was just kind of a nice um, in terms of, yeah, letting go of the control and it sort of let people engage with the work in a way that doesn't normally happen so it was more of like a people were pretty like fascinated by some of the changes that had happened and most of them most of the things that had happened were kind of gross but I don't know it was like almost like people just like loosened up quite a bit yeah. in the space so I think that's really important when it comes to all of the creative practices that are going around and going on in the city. Some of the work that I had seen or some of the people that I really wanted to work with, it just came to the point where I, where I think like on a consensus decided that it probably wasn't going to work as well. The work just had a different type of language that didn't fall within what was possible with this exhibition. For the most part, a lot of the work is somewhat, um, I don't want to call it crafty, but it definitely, uh, the materials that have been used for each of the works ranges so much and offers a lot of opportunity for things to change. Too much wrong with craft art, I think, in terms of using really great materials, right? Yeah. Like it's kind of dismissed oh, a lot. It's, yeah, it's definitely dismissed, and I think that it's, it's funny because there's sort of sort of this weird moment when you're saying, oh, this is arts and crafts, but it's not just that because these... A lot of the elements that are used, um, they're used in a traditional way, but they're made new by the certain decisions that each, each of the artists have made to make it into something that wouldn't necessarily correspond to the long trajectory that some of the materials have, have had. For instance, like Devin Knowles, hers is stained glass, and um, you don't usually see stained glass arranged in, in that kind of a way or cut in, in those shapes or forms to make something other than, you know, a, a window. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of times stained glass is used as a um, something that is supposed to kind of beautify and glorify a space. Mm -hmm. And this is more stark, but still very, mm -hmm. still very gorgeous. Yeah. Movies are a great way to understand the culture and thought process of a generation. And the 7th Annual Taiwanese Film Festival is taking place at the Downtown Vancouver International Film Center from June 14th to 16th. It will be featuring some of the best Chinese films from the small island of Taiwan. Come and experience a different world and get to know more about the many groups of people living in this awesome city. For more details, please visit TWFF.ca. Again, that is TWFF.ca. 
For the past seven years, Sled Island has delivered a hot, fresh, and saucy music and arts festival in Calgary, Alberta. In 2013, it's saucier than ever. From June 19th to 22nd, independent musical acts, visual artists, filmmakers, and comedians, including the CITR Showcase featuring White Lung, will frolic your amusement at over 30 venues. For more information on schedules, venues, ticket purchases, and more, visit www.sledisland.com. Sled Island is proudly sponsored by CITR. And you are back on the Arts Report, CITR 101.9. Um, so that was uh, the first part of my conversation with Kelly. And uh, we are listening to a little Walter TV Appetite, which was her request to go along with IOU. Uh, you heard Puka Shell Necklace earlier, a little bit of a nautical theme. And this is One Sweet Neo. Now, uh, I wanted to mention a couple of... Uh, artists specifically um, because I really enjoyed their pieces first of all and um, I think that they are representative of what's happening there we don't have time to play all the artists but I thought I would give you uh, a few insights so uh, first I wanted to talk uh, about Devin Knowles now Devin Knowles uh, uh, piece is a stained glass piece that has been kind of broken apart um, by by the uh, not just by herself it's called Splitsville so it's been broken apart by herself but it's also been broken apart as the water um, disrupted the uh, construction so uh, this is uh, Kelly and myself talking a little bit about Devin Ells's piece Splitsville Splitsville and it was made in 2008 and it hasn't been shown anywhere before. The crate in which the works were submerged in was built for this piece. Okay. Um, and this was definitely the craziest one to work with because a lot of the, the glass components are all separate and they're assembled for um, installation. So a lot of them are barely staying together but there there's some really nice salt staining that has happened from the water and the and the base itself when I took it out of the box where all of the speckles are on the wood it's that's basically mold um but it really looks really beautiful now that it's dried up um and there are some pieces that have been omitted from from this just because they the wood had expanded and some of them wedged in the wood quite um, quite well initially but because the wood had expanded in the water it's they're not they're not going to be shown with it so well, it's interesting that it's not just about and you'll see this with some of the pieces more than others it seems but it seems like like the it's not just okay now it's dirty or now it smells like salt like it's mm -hmm. really changed the character of the original piece oh yeah definitely uh yeah quite a bit and for this one you know you have to or for each of the work even you kind of have to make new decisions when you're installing them like it wasn't just about putting in 
putting them in the water and then putting them in a show. It was also about how do we, how can we see this in a new way um, that's still interesting visually and compelling and um, using the same sort of modes of display as you would um, for any kind of exhibition. Mm-hmm. I like this one too because it, it really does look like something shattered and spilled. Yeah. Which seemed very, it seems very apropos. Definitely. The entire show. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, things are still continuing to sort of fall apart (laughs) and onto the floor, but we're leaving it um, as is because I think that it's nice when people come in and they don't know anything about the show and they're just sort of looking at things thinking like, why is it so, why is it kind of dirty? (laughs) So, yeah. Now, another artist that um, was probably my favorite um, was the diptych called A Painting for My Girlfriend and A Painting for My Buddy. And it may have been the best example of how the work was both changed and enhanced in some ways by the Georgia Strait. So, um, the diptych is one is uh covered in they're both covered in fabric and one is pink with cupcakes and uh polka dots and the other is blue with fishing lures and fishing flies and uh flowers and what has happened is parts of it have been rotted away and mussels have encased themselves all around between the canvas so to speak and the frame and they are still drying and falling. So this is a uh, just disc- a uh, little discussion about uh, the diptych, a painting for my girlfriend and a painting for my buddy by Ian Robert Sandylands. The, this is a diptych by Ian Robert Sandilands, and it's called A Painting for My Girlfriend and A Painting for My Buddy. Mm-hmm. So you have cupcakes on one side. Exactly. And, uh, and kind of flies. fish flies on the other. And Yeah, they're, they're really sweet, I think. He, I, his, his parents actually came to the opening, and his mother was saying, Oh, and so that's what you were doing with my sewing machine. So <laughs> he had taken these textiles, stretched them on panel, and... Um, framed them and painted the frames really nice they were beautiful when I got them and I was like I can't believe you're letting me do this and the nice thing that had happened in the process is yeah there are all these um funny uh muscles that have like wedged in uh between the the panel and the frame and then some of the the fabric is actually torn off which is also really great because you can see a sort of pencil line from maybe something else that he had been planning on uh doing with with the wood beforehand so um and there are a few moments in the fabric that you can actually see what it was initially like too and these were also put directly in the water and not in the crate so that was uh that definitely helped (laughs) i I also like these like these baby ones that have attached themselves and um when we have like the cupcakes and the and the fishing lures, it's mm-hmm. very like they were hungry. Yeah, and even the like the little speckles mm-hmm. sort of mimic the polka dots that are on the 
that are on the fabric there too. Yeah, and some of the, it's amazing that some of these little guys have managed to cling on still. Quite a few have already fallen on the floor, you can see, but mm -hmm. um, we're not sweeping that up, we'll just leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like both the process, both with the art and with the display, really seems to embrace and work towards it developing over time and not mm -hmm. necessarily controlling every aspect and like of display but rather letting it make its own its own space yeah definitely and I think that uh, I've worked with galleries before and it's really always sad to me if I go into their basement and I see there's all of this work just sitting there and it's just sitting there and you can't really touch it unless you're wearing gloves and um, uh, some of them are just in boxes and they've been in boxes for years and it's just sort of like well is this what we're really in for is this what is this what we're doing is this what I I don't know I, I guess I've always had trouble with um, producing work in a way like in a in a studio way so the interesting thing about this project for me was to use um, works that are that kind of come out of that process and I think that um, because I don't do it myself it was really nice to to see everybody so um, willing to, to to see their work do something else or have a different life Well, thank you so much uh, to all the artists and Kelly Nadoba uh, at IOU, which is the curatorial project developed um, by her at the Unit Pit Projects. The very first, uh, the very first show in that new space. And I definitely suggest you go and check it out before it's quote unquote finished, because it has this kind of like first of all it has a great smell right now, which is fading fast. It smells like the sea, um, and it has a. A real character you don't know what it's going to be yet um and it is a lot larger and a lot more uh there's a lot more potential than the old space so as much as i love the former unit pit um i'm very excited for them to be in this new space um the exhibition was also part of art waste as well so um that was a really cool event that i really enjoyed this past weekend um so always keep an eye out for the art waste uh every summer so uh, there are definitely uh, more artists we talked about. Um, the, for example, um, Devin, uh, sorry, Ben Raymer has the Endings and Getaways ball cap uh, that is now covered in barnacles, and it was cast aluminum, and it totally looks like a hat hanging on the wall. It is beautiful, and now it looks like an abandoned hat, abandoned on a wall. Um, she has a really cool story about calling Hedling's piece Home Depot donuts kitchen donuts um which was originally such uh, a piece of canvas that was donuted in a home depot parking lot with her car and she went on to paint the other side and and so you have this kind of action-based and reflective based painting on canvas that was dipped in the ocean and then uh hung on the wall and it kind of has this staining that has happened it's quite beautiful um, but also really hardcore, like it is a very tough piece um, with the canvas and the gray paint. Uh, and you can check out all of these pieces um, at Unit Pit through July 6th. And we are going to take a break. And when we return, we have the inestimable Sarah Bino. Sarah, say hello. Hello. 
Um, say hello again. Hello. That was better. Mic check, one, two, <laughs> one, two. Um, and we are going to be talking about Say What, the podcast and the third anniversary show coming up on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. Holla. Give me a landlord to land under star skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Hi, I'm Jessica Newmanin, and I'm the program coordinator of Enterprising Women Making Art. Enterprising Women Making Art, UMA, is a program of Atira Women's Resource Society a community-based organization that supports all women and their children who are experiencing the impacts of violence and abuse. Our studio is located on 54 East Cordova and is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., except for every second Friday. For more information about UMA, please visit the Tira Women's Resource Society website at www atira.bc.ca backslash UMA. The store is located on 802 East Hastings and we're open Wednesday to Sunday from 1 to 6. Please check us out on Facebook or give us a call at 604-685-8043 for more information. And we are back on CITR 101.9 with my guest, Sarah Bino. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Um, Sarah, you are a comedian and host and writer about town. If you say and so. And producer. Sure. Sure. I mean, well, we've known each other 40, 50 <laughs> years now, I yes, think, exactly. right? Something along those lines. So yep. we're old friends. Um, and so, yeah, you uh, have hosted, for example, one of our Discord or issue launches, our first one earlier this oh, yeah, year. That's right. And uh, you have worked with Sad Meg, and uh, you also have your own series, two series. Yes. Uh, one of them being Teen Angst, which was, I believe, your original. Yeah, <laughs> yes, my, that's the original flavor. And then the new flavor, the new jazz, the new Jack Soul is Say What? Totes. Yep. Which is celebrating its third anniversary next week. I know. June um, 19th at the Cottage Bistro. Very exciting. Um, can you tell us what Say What is? <laughs> It's the deliciously rotten writing? Yeah, so the full title, because I love uh, colon titles. And alliterations. Oh, yeah, I guess. It's Say What? Readings of Deliciously Rotten Writing. So it is a comedy literary mashup show where funny people read from the worst books that they can find. The assignment I always give them is to find a book that makes them utter the words Say What? As in, this is crazy. This dialogue doesn't make any sense. This plot is insane. How the hell did anyone decide to publish this? Why is it a bestseller, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you also, um, now, what, is the, what was the original inspiration oh. for Sewa? Well, uh, it, all the way back in like 2008 or 9, uh, I was living in London at the time, and I went on a weekend holiday with a bunch of girls to Bath. And we stayed in this like creepy hostel 
And sitting on the couch next to me on our first night was this romance novel. It was a Harlequin Mills and Boone. So it was a very trashy British romance novel. I picked it up and it was called Dark Avenger. It was very... Very thin for a romance novel, not like the typical like thick ones. That well, we have did here. it get like straight to the good stuff or pretty much? I read, <laughs> I read the back cover and basically it's like oh God, I've read it so many times, so maybe I haven't memorized. Carrie Stevens was trapped. Nikos had some. Oh no, I forgot it. Okay, so basically the story is that there's this guy Nikos and this girl Carrie, and uh, Carrie's brother has gotten Nikos's sister pregnant. But now Nikos wants his revenge, and he's going to get Carrie pregnant. (laughs) So it's like convoluted. It's it's sort of a rape fantasy, which I was like, "What the heck?" And the dialogue was just terrible. So the I mean, what the heck? Not nice. (laughs) Oops. So the whole uh, whole weekend that I was uh, in Bath with my friends, I would just pick up this book randomly and read aloud to it, and they got a big kick out of it. And they started sending me more terrible books, mostly romance novels, and they're like, "Read." read these to us and so I did and then I just really got into reading from terrible books and thought hey this is fun people tend to enjoy this let's do a whole show of it and the very first show that I did I had to I did so much work for that show I basically um cast everyone and gave them a book and I was like these are the marks I've or the parts of the book I flagged for you I think they're funny make it your own and eventually I realized that it was way too much work. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, started reaching out to... Uh, improvisers are really great at Sewa. Yep. Because they get the narrative arc. They get the funny. And uh, they're good actors, so they can do very engaging readings. It's a whole package. So you have a lot of comedians and, like, local performers yeah, and in ri- your shows. Uh, local writers as well, mm-hmm. like Dina yeah. Del Bucchia and um, Steve Burgess have all read at Sewa. Well, Dina is basically a performer she's, at heart. She's fantastic. Um, now, there are two kind of books uh, that, if you have attended Sewa, as I have, uh, are famous. At least two. And these are the ones that are famous to me. Oh. One has to do uh, with a bear. Oh, yes. Uh, let's talk about that one first. <laughs> so this is a book that was suggested to me by one of uh, uh, the attendees of the Sewa show. And it's called Bear by Marion Ingalls, I think that's her name, and she won a Governor General Award for this book in 1976. And the premise is this woman who is a librarian goes to a remote northern Ontario place, this house, and she is supposed to like recatalog all these books in the house. And uh, also living on the property is a bear. And she ends up having a sexual relationship with the bear. After reading the book, I will say she basically lathers herself in honey and forces herself upon this bear. So Also a rape fantasy. <laughs> I guess. Basically, for me, that's the biggest thing. I'm like, what the heck? Um, there's the scene where the bear just, like, licks her. It's crazy. And then I called the Canada Council for the Arts, and I was like, who sat on this jury? And for me, this was a big Sewa moment because it's uh, Margaret Lawrence. Oh, my goodness. Mordecai Richler. Oh my god. And Alice Monroe. So is this What? So did they believe or was it in fact ironic? I don't know. No, people loved they it. It was like 1976. Bold. It was a different time in the 70s. I think so. I don't and the book the is barely era. a novel. Like it's I think it was 144 pages the book I read and it's very large um font. Lots of spaces. So it's like a novella. I don't understand. Um and I guess we should have given a bit of a sexy warning at the beginning oh, of this, yeah. too, um, because I think it's been pretty team so far. I mean, honey bears, <laughs> pretty basic. But uh, if it gets a little sexier at Sewa, um, and so if you, uh, you know, have a few 
if you have issues with, say, for example, a certain book of gray shades, <laughs> then turn off now. But if you have issues with it that you'd like to hear made fun of, you should tune in because uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is kind of one of your classic turn twos. And I have not read a lot of that, but there's a whole thing about a three-legged hamster at one point. What? Yeah, okay, I read, I, I read really? this excerpt where it was something like, he looked at me in the way that a mother hamster would before eating her three-legged young. And I think it's <sighs> supposed to be like like in a sexual hungry way yeah, yeah, yeah. but like she says I don't. a lot of crazy things i mean honestly i read most of them the book two i hated so i skimmed most of that so maybe it was in there but she talks about her inner goddess doing all these different things like my inner goddess is doing the merengue with some salsa moves why not just the merengue why add in the salsa moves like, why complicate your weird metaphor well you know her her inner goddess is a bit of an overachiever i guess <laughs> But you had a couple, so you, you like to read Fifty Shades, and you have some responses, right, for us that you have oh, yeah. uh, received due to this this tome yeah. of I, sexual brilliance. I get like 20 different search queries a day in regards to Fifty Shades of Grey on my website. Um, so it brings in a lot of traffic, because when I... Which is... What? Sarahbino.com? Yeah, that's right. Uh, S-A-R-A. Figure out the last name. Um, and so... I, I compiled a list when I did um, the final Fifty Shades of Grey, number three. And I think it's on, it's on the podcast that I did. Final, well. we hope. Uh, oh, my God. I never want to read that book again. But anyway, so these are like the top five um, queries that people have that brought searched you to, your to my website. Yeah, okay, that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. I'm not being very clear. Okay. So people have asked, what kind of tea does Anastasia Steele drink? I'm going to answer that question right now. It's English breakfast, blackened week. Tea is mentioned 35 times in book one. Thank God I got a Kindle version of this. I don't understand why people would want to know. Like, they want to be her. They're like, I must be Anastasia Steele. Let me drink tea. I have to get it right. And also black in a week. Like, no. that's not the proper way to drink no, it. No, and it's not sexy either. No. Mm. Well, she's, yeah. Yeah. She has this whole personality thing, I'm like, that is retiring. But anyway. Yeah, she's Bella Swan. She's a nothing character. Um, what car does Christian Grey buy his subs? Of course, because... Everyone wants to be this one. It's a Audi A3. It's basically a station wagon. Nice. It's kind of boring. Uh, this one I never understand. It says Christian Grey Converse. She talks a lot about how Christian Grey wears Converse shoes. He makes, at one point it's referenced that he makes over $100 million an hour. Say what? what? I know. You're like, That what? doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. So I don't know why she's... Um, he has all the money in the world. Exactly. I think it's because she's a British author and she's writing about Seattle and she's in her 40s. So she's thinking back to the grunge era. And maybe okay. that's what people were wearing. Like, this should be Doc Martens if she's doing that. So I don't really understand. Maybe they're sexy. It seems like a very strange so choice. So is this ruined Converse now? Because I still have my Converse, but I got them secondhand. I didn't no, buy no, them no. from Nike, which is who owns that, by the way, everyone. What? Think about it. My last understanding of who owned Converse, it was Nike. That could have changed. But think about that next time you're hitting up the Converse store. Oh, I'm so sad now. I know. I ruined everything. Um, and I'm going to skip the next one. Okay. The, my favorite one is the Fifty Shades tampon scene. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. And this is Anastasia Steele's Say Well moment. And I'm just going to read to you, uh, read it to you right now. He reaches between my legs and pulls on the blue string. What? And gently, gently pulls my tampon out and tosses it into a nearby toilet. Holy f! Sweet mother of all, jeez, jeez! And then he's inside me. Ah! Oh god! 
part. What? When I read that, I was like instantly highlighting this part. Why don't? Oh, it's just it's like here's the thing. It's that like there even could be some sort of explanation of like that sort of intimacy and like blood and stuff. Like if you're into that kind of thing, which I'm not, but like you know, each to their own. But like, sure. I think the thing that ties all of the books that you hear at Siwa together is a combination of a strange topic. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you write about this? Who wants to hear about this? Or an awkward topic. An awkward topic. Um, on our way out of the show, we're going to learn a little bit about coffin making, for example. Oh, yes. Um, from Chip Ellis. But the other thing that brings it together is really is, like, a lack of basic communication skills. Like, some of the books, like, don't have full sentences. Oh, yeah. Like, don't, what are they trying to communicate and to whom? No, no not the palest understanding of what they should be doing. Yeah, a lot of awkward language is also very successful. Phrases that you would like never want to put together or things that just come out of complete nowhere like um uh, what was it in the R. Kelly book, Solar Coaster, Diary of Me. Which was read by Cam McLeod, yes, right? Yes, it was. And uh, you can find a lot of these readings on the podcast. So that's, that's episode right. three. That's right. Um, well, my favorite part, part of that whole reading was when R. Kelly's talking about his stripping career, mm-hmm. and he's like, I wanted to be an artist. I was this, I was that, so I came out, and I stripped as Darth Vader. Ugh. And you're like, what goes through someone's mind to think that women are going to be attracted to stripping Darth Vader? And I just imagined the whole scene, and it was very funny. Like, he, he kept reading, but in my mind, I was stopped. I was like, what just happened? Could not handle more. I couldn't, no. It was very bizarre. So you have the third anniversary next week at the Cottage Bistro, uh, starting at 9? No, I do, like, normal show times, because I come from theater, so I always do 8, yeah. eight till 10. 8 till 10. Because She's I respect al- people with jobs. Um, yeah, they're the worst. They ruin everything. <laughs> um, and uh, a prompt starter, you guys. Get there on time. Yes. And uh, so 8 to 10 at the Cottage Bistro, which is just on Main Street. Um, and the other thing that is recent and has been very successful for you is the podcast. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to start doing that and what is the response. Oh, well, I, um, I've wanted to do a podcast for years and years and years. And uh, I'm not, you know, the most technically savvy person. I'm pretty good. And I have been recording Say What shows for about a year now. And I thought, I've got enough material that I can probably coast for a while. And, I mean, the other reason is, you know, we tried live streaming for a while, um, the show. But because we're in the Pacific time zone, like, I have friends, you know, in London and in um, in New York and Toronto. And they're not going to stay up till midnight and beyond to watch the show. So the podcast was the easiest way to get it out there to the rest of the world who cannot attend the shows on a regular basis. Unlike the rest of us in Vancouver who are definitely doing it. Um, I know I am. So, okay. So, um, I thought maybe what we could do is we could wrap up a little bit early and then we could end with a reading uh, Chip Ellis, who you can find at Chip Ellis. He is part of the Fictionals, um, probably one of my favorite members of the Fictionals local uh, improv troupe and uh, that play Café du Soleil on Tuesdays. And... Um, he has he chose do-it-yourself coffins for pets and people so we are uh, by dale power um and the cover is like yeah it's like tiny coffins next to big coffins like it's not a it's a it's a shiffer book for woodworkers who want to be buried in their work and this book is available at the vancouver public library fantastic 
So, um, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Giving us the inside scoop on what people search for on the internet. Like, I love that, like... So do you think that people are only searching for... Those are the top searches. Those are the top queries that got to your site because you're talking about those subjects. Well, sometimes Fifty Shades of Grey synopsis also gets them, but those are my favorite ones, the really quirky ones. It's so specific. Why would you want to know what kind of tea does she drink? Why not just read it? Yeah, exactly. And there's one that's like, what page is the boathouse seen on? Get an ebook. It's got a search function. Oh. Figure it out. Um, okay, so um, do you have anything, uh, any other uh, projects coming up that we can let people know about besides the anniversary next week? Uh, well, I've got, you know, uh, the original flavor, Teen Angst Night. It's going to mm-hmm. be July 17th, also at the Cottage Bistro. And then with Hot Art Wet City, I'm doing an art show of teen angst artwork. So if you never wrote anything down, you don't have any bad poetry or journals from your teenage years. If you have sculptures or paintings, um, go to hotartwetcity.com and there's a submission for a show called Teenage Wasteland. And we would teenage love to see wasteland. your terrible and embarrassing oh. art you made when you were a teenager. Excellent. Okay, great. So, uh, Teen Angst, Teenage Wasteland, and Say Um Thank you for everyone who uh, joined us today. Um, I want to shout out to all the dads out there, pre-Dads Day on Sunday. And uh, this is my last show as staff at CITR. I will be sticking around for the arts report. Um, so if you guys want to be the ad rep at CITR and just like hang out with a bunch of cool people and meet a tons of great merchants and artists around the city and just like just be selling dat ads um for discorder and citr as a way to support the station financially then um you can find our post on arts alliance um dot com and uh just google citr ad rep arts alliance and we would love uh, to have you deadline is june 19th um for submissions and uh we will be interviewing on june 24th so uh Excited to see people from the local community try to support CITR with a little bit of glad handing and whatnot. Um, I want to thank uh, Sarah, Kylie, and coming up, Mikey Harker and Jesse Birch talk um, for an extended version of his Mikey's interview uh, about properties at the Western Front. And we will leave you with Chip Ellis reading from Do-It-Yourself Coffins for Pets and People. And apparently, there's a fancy coffin version as well, once you get the basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been CITR 101.9's The Arts Report. Uh, say goodbye, Sarah. Goodbye. ...elated when I saw this book in the library, and I bet uh, Faith Evans would have been uh, real pleased, too. Do-it-yourself coffins... <laughs> For pets and people. Uh, Now, this is written by Dale Power, and he is a resident of Vancouver, Washington, so you guys can go down and check him out. But Dale is an artist, and we learn a little bit about this artist's journey right right in the front. Over the years, Dale has explored various forms from painting, jewelry making, scrimshaw, relief slate carving, and welding metal sculpture until at last... He found wood. (laughs) It's a journey. (laughs) 
The latter has become his medium of choice. Each project begins with extensive research, and once complete, many of his animal sculptures have gone on to reside in private collections in both the United States and Europe. Now, we learn about uh, Dale's fascination with coffins right in this wonderful introduction. So just bear with me. I'm not going to read most of the book. For years, I've been interested in coffins, their history, construction, and traditions. I hope to give everyone a chance to explore these fascinating objects around which so much history, ceremony, and emotion revolves. It will, be al it will also be interesting to consider the options. Some coffin designs may also be useful and beautiful pieces of furniture. <laughs> mm -hmm. Coffin making has always been a grave matter. <laughs> Throughout time, people have used boxes of one sort or another to contain the bodies of their loved ones for their eternal sleep. Coffins have had many names, sarcophagus, casket, coffin, again, <laughs> and the old pine box. Let's face it, coffin is also a word that some people are very uncomfortable with. In this book, we will show you that if you just give it another name, you can think of this particularly well-crafted and sturdy box in other ways. You'll be surprised at the number of uses you will come up with for the boxes you make. Uses far different from those for which you will finally need them. <laughs> Look at the furnishings around your home. If you examine the shapes, you'll see almost everything looks like a box. Am I right? Yeah. A lot of boxes. A bookcase is only a box standing up with boards to hold your printed treasures. <laughs> why not have a coffee table to store extra blankets and pillows? Yes, why not have a coffee table that is a pet coffin <laughs> to ho hold your extra blankets and pillows until your pet dies? <laughs> That's just good thinking and planning right there. And so, you know, this is a true do-it-yourself book. So I am not a woodworker. Uh, you know, there are lots of uh, schematics in here. And, and you know, I was, I'm not sure how to judge the book, you know. Uh, you know, I was a little concerned there are a lot of spelling errors, like he spells medium, M-E-D-U-I-M. At one point, he spells the word drawing, D-R-I-A-W-I-N-G. But, hey, you know, he's a woodworker. He works with his hands. Why be bound by words just because you're an author? Uh, he's also a little fast and loose with the safety, so he often is showing you techniques in here, um, uh, but he gives you the safety warning after, well after you've performed it. And so there's a lot of pictures of him, like, with his hands and saw blades and right next to them. And then he'll have, like, an after-the-fact warning, so, like, never depend on the accuracy of the scale on the, saw, on the table saw when you set the blade angle. Always check the angle of the blade set with a tri-square. Note, the, sa the saw guard has been removed only for clarity of the photographs. Never operate this or any other power tool without the safety guards in place. And then I thought, well, hey, you know, he plays by his own rules, man. He's making his own coffins. He doesn't care if you lose a limb. I mean, fuck, if you bleed out, that's just more business for him, right? And he also has a lot of, like, veiled threats in the book. So one of my favorites, he says, the second coffin is a, rectang a rectangular poplar coffin held together using finger joints. Because of its shape, legs may be added to this box, and it can double as a blanket chest until needed. 
And, you know, I thought it was a little suspect, you know, some of the ways he cuts corners in the book. I mean, sometimes he, he, there's one part he just straight up fucks up the coffin, but he doesn't go back and fix it. So in the final version, you see it all fucked up later. Uh, but he says, uh, one part, he says, the lid of the box is coated with red mahogany and awaits its final polyurethane varnish. Of course, this box is to be used inside. Only two coats of varnish are needed. A minimum of three coats is required for outdoor use. Now, I thought all coffins were for outdoor use. <laughs> but this guy is such a baller. He's got, like, indoor coffins, outdoor coffins, zero-G coffins. And you can see by the picture in the back that he's quite the baller. And, you know... Do-it-yourself coffins for pets and people just wasn't enough. So he knew, just like me, he was a baller, and he followed up with fancy coffins <laughs> to make yourself. <laughs> now, one of the main problems with fancy coffins to make yourself is that it only tells you how to make one type of coffin. <laughs> so right off the bat, it's a little false advertising. But the back of the book really sells the shit out of this concept. Here's the help you need for one of life's most critical undertakings. <laughs> Making your own coffin. Author and craftsman Dale Power revisits one of his most popular woodworking projects with additional embellishment, adding finery and fancy to what could easily become your final resting place. Easily, that is, since more than 230 color photos and detailed instructions have been provided to help guide you step-by-step step towards making your own motherfucking casket, this project might truly be your life's finest accomplishment. <laughs> That's just straight-up sad. I just realized, like, well, we lived a pretty shitty life, but look at that casket. Sure did a good job there. Now, I, unfortunately, I didn't have time to uh, make a casket before Say well, to see if these books are really good. So I, instead, I turn to uh, the book reviews on Amazon. So I'm just going to read you two of those book reviews to wrap up. Now, as you can imagine, there were lots and lots of one-star reviews for this book. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, this one star entitled, Don't Buy! with four exclamation points. There is nothing woodworker about this book. Woodworkers generally pride themselves on clean, precise joints, no visible glue marks, quality, all caps, finishes. This book carries none, all caps of those. The craftsmanship is poor at best, and the execution of this toe-pincher coffin is every synonym of awkward that I could find on thesaurus.com. And then he includes all of them here. <laughs> so just bear with me. All thumbs, amateurish, artless, blundering, bulky, bumbling, bungling, butterfingers, coarse, floundering, gawky, graceless, green, having two left feet, having two left hands, incompetent, inept, inexpert, klutzy, lumbering, maladroit, oafish, rude, still, stumbling, uncoordinated, uncouth, unfit, ungainly, ungraceful, unhandy, unpolished, unrefined, unskilled, and unskillful. This book is really, all caps, bad. You think? <laughs> and this guy should stop shopping himself around as a woodworker and should stick to building birdhouses on the weekend, motherfucker. <laughs> I wish I could give this book no stars. I'm sad that there's only one real coffin book out there and this guy made it. Frowny face. Thank you so much to Chip Ellis and Sarah Bino uh, for their Say Wah contributions. And next up, we have Arts Project with Mikey Harker. And then we will have uh, the amazing uh, Sansquatch's Hideaway 
or subworld, depending on what week it is. Um, but either way, you're going to hear some amazing tunes. Have a great day, Vancouver. <laughs>